You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 298. I'm your host, Andras Spinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son! Hey, son! Andras, you are here again. This is getting yeah. a habit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> because We're thrilled. <laughs> I intend to keep that as a habit for a little while, at least, uh, for the next couple of months. We'll see how it turns out. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. by the way, I will probably have a new destination very soon. Okay. Towards the end of November, I will go to Dubai. Ooh. Yeah, and Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. Never been. Only to Dubai Airport. Yeah. Many times. <laughs> I've been to Dubai can, Airport too. <laughs> yeah, so you can guide people into the airport and out of the airport and then they're on their own. Well, that airport is freakishly big. It's a massive city in itself. Yes. <laughs> and around 80 million people are, are the, the oh, what is it? Working are there? Frequenting. No. <laughs> no, uh, around 80 million people frequent the airport on an annual basis, which is mind-blowing. It's unbelievable. That's big. Yeah, it is big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but you know, uh, there is something that you don't have to stand up and leave the country for, and you can still have a lot of fun. That's the 13th European Congress for Integrative Medicine, which is nice. on this week. Oh, shouldn't nice. we Shouldn't we all go and attend? Integrative <laughs> Medicine. Oh, yeah. Is uh, Ed Sardin's going? (laughs) I don't think he is invited. Ah. (laughs) For some reason. But the list of topics... By the way, it's good you mentioned Ed Sardin's because I I read this on his uh, blog. But then I looked up the conference page and it's amazing. Oh, my God. Anthroposophic medicine, arts in healthcare. Well, that's an important thing. Acupuncture, Ayurveda, diabetes, homeopathy, (laughs) integrative oncology... Whatever that means. Mm. Mm -hmm. And mind and body connection. Mistletoe therapy. (laughs) Mistletoe therapy. This is kissing, right? Actual illnesses like diabetes and cancer in between mistletoe, whatever. Mm. It's like, yeah. Mm. Patient activation and self-management. That sounds vague enough, right? (laughs) Right. And planetary and environmental health. Social prescribing and traditional health and yoga. So those are the the main topics of the Congress, and it will be held between the 4th and 7th of November, so towards the end of this week. And they claim that 125-plus speakers will be presenting from all over the world. And this will be online? Online, but but Hmm. it's not easy to attend because there are a couple of things because it's not free, obviously, since it's alternative medicine and uh, complementary and alternative medicine that's usually brought under the umbrella of integrative. So there is a registration fee for standard participants of £249, which is a shitload of money. Yes. (laughs) For a a (laughs) load of crap for half a week. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable because it's all online, so there's no venue to pay for. So I don't know why, but fortunately, these people have a lot of money mm. because they make a living out of scam, out of scamming people. <laughs> so, and the gold sponsors are Boiron, of course, homeopathy, <laughs> Nutrinet, 
which uh, uh-huh, yeah. produces Diet. and sells uh, dietary supplements, and um, Veleda, which is um, also homeopathy, um, right? No, it's anthroposophical I, I, things, isn't it? Among yeah. other things, because they, I think they started out as a cosmetics company. Ah. But they try to sell lots of different kinds of uh, holistic cosmetic <laughs> products, as they claim. So holistic, you cover your whole body. No, you know, I have a much better idea. <laughs> yeah, what? If you want to attend an online conference, you should go to the Australian and New Zealand Skeptics Joint Annual Convention, which will be on the twentieth to the twenty-first of November. It is fully online mm. this year. So normally. <laughs> The Australians and the New Zealanders, the Kiwis. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you say that? Is that, is that uh, Kiwis is politically correct, I think. It is. It. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Both of those will do their uh, normally do their separate annual conventions. But this year, they've combined it. It's all online. Everybody can attend. It's very international. So, of course, you have a little bit of a problem with the time zones when it comes to this. But for us in Europe, for instance, it will start... Uh, at 10 p.m. on a Friday, and then you have to to stay up through the night. But you can also catch it afterwards. You can see the recorded event. For our American listeners, if you tune in from New York, you will start at 4 o'clock p.m. in the afternoon on a Friday, and that's much more reasonable. And in if you're on the Pacific time zone, it's 1 p.m. on Friday, and then you can see the whole thing. So it's 8 hours roughly for two days and i suggest you check that out and just forget about this integrative medicine thing yes and notice how much cheaper it is to attend a skeptical conference where things actually make sense that that you would listen (laughs) to this shows exactly how it's not profit oriented Uh, what skeptics usually do as opposed to those scammers who try to use people's difficult situations to gain a lot of wealth and they do that's right yeah and we often say like don't take medical advice from this podcast we're trying to be factual but don't take advice from us like don't trust us they are saying give us your money and trust us (laughs) yeah exactly right so facts are free and scams are expensive yeah Something that's also free is questioning us. And I would, uh, <laughs> I would like to call for questions again. Our episode 300 will be a Q&A, a question and answer episode. So if you ever wanted to interview us <laughs> on the ESP, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, just send us your questions. You can email um, them to info at the ESP.eu. You can um, write them on Twitter, write them on Facebook. If you are a patron of our Patreon, you can also ask them on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Mm-hmm. And, and and of course, you can also record your question exactly. and send the recording to us. That'll be exciting. And that, that will sound exactly like an interview. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Right. So, By the way, if you don't want us to talk on our own show about stuff, uh, skepticism-related stuff, then uh, we're also available for interviews. If you're a podcaster, yeah, feel free to get in touch and invite us on, on, on your show. Uh, but we still do have our own show to do, so uh, I suggest we turn to that. And I understand that you guys interviewed, just before we started this one, Susan Gerbeck. And I'm really sorry, and this goes out to you, Susan, as well. I would have loved to be here to do that, but can't wait to listen to it. What was it that you talked about? 
Well, Susan Gerbic, of course, is the brains behind uh, guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia, GSOW. Mm -hmm. And they have just reached a fantastic milestone. 100 million uh, Wikipedia views. That means that pages that they have written have been viewed that many times over the years. So we caught up with her to talk about that. Really can't wait to listen to it. As a lot of our listeners know, we have very good contacts with the leader of Guerrilla Skeptics on Wikipedia. <laughs> and she was kind enough to join us again. So hello to welcome to the show again, Susan. It's so great to see you too. Yeah, welcome back. Well, I'm listening all the time, so I feel like I'm here all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it actually has been, and I looked it up this time. It has been since May last year that we talked on the oh. podcast last. So, uh, so welcome back. Well, I talk to the audio whenever I'm listening, so you know. <laughs> okay, we should <laughs> we should. Keep... <laughs> so I feel like I've been conversing, and oh. so yeah, just because you guys haven't been answering, I just thought you were really rude whenever yeah, I was but out on my us. walk, <laughs> talking yeah. to you and, and explaining things, and you guys don't answer. I'm just like, fine. Okay, so when you're not talking into the air, expecting uh, uh, replies, uh, uh, you have been rather busy, I hear, or your group, the GSOW. So you haven't passed a big milestone lately. Yeah, well, if you like big round numbers, that sure is a nice milestone. We just hit 100 million page views. That is yeah, amazing. Wow. Yes. Yeah, and, and as we record this, I'm at 101 million pages. <laughs> oh, another milestone, as we speak. <laughs> as we speak. Yeah, so if people don't know what we're talking about, this is a, the guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia and the pages that they have, that you and your team have updated or sometimes created from scratch. And mm -hmm. then you keep track on the statistics and see how many times they are read or at least opened by, by people. Is that right? Right. Yes, that's that's correct. What I should clear up, though, is we only allow pages that we have completely written. Mm -hmm. I mean, like fully, not a stub. We don't create stubs. Or mm -hmm. we take a page that we have completely rewritten and turned it from a stub to something really nice. So we can't keep track of just all the edits we make because that would be untrackable. So <laughs> it's not just updating a page. It has to be a fully written page oh. by us. So in actuality, you have changed much more than that or probably been oh. your changes have been reached by much more people than that. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, by far, because <laughs> we we are we edit all the time. Sometimes we'll add a few sentences or take stuff off or, oh, yeah, we're always editing. So is that true, Susan, that you're actually behind Wikipedia? Like, are you conspiring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> well, we've got a discussion going on right now, actually. I woke up to it. They're they're complaining about us uh, editing the Havana Syndrome Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. And, it, and uh, the person who's complaining about us is upset because we're adding science and we're trying to add, you know, this awful stuff, this mean... Pesky bad science. stuff to the page and how dare we try to you know coordinate oh my gosh there's <laughs> the retraining people and we're coordinating and we're pushing a particular point of view which is scientific skepticism and it isn't going well for the person who's making this argument so no, no, <laughs> i'm just reading it this morning going oh this is hilarious i mean the admins yeah. on wikipedia are basically saying what are they doing wrong they're training people to edit wikipedia correctly 
Oh no, we're we need more of them. Right. They're adding facts <laughs> that are actually verified. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> How it's rude really of funny. them. <laughs> yeah. So the so the person's point of view is showing and it is not pleasant for them, I don't no. think. No. Yeah. no. It's really fun. So we're just watching them. But that just happened this morning. Havana syndrome, you guys go check out that Wikipedia page. It's we wanted to get the mass psychogenic illness mentioned in the lead. Mm-hmm. And there was editors that were trying to keep that phrase off of the lead of the Havana syndrome page. But the consensus is more and more that this Havana syndrome is probably mass psychogenic illness. Right. That's yeah. So for people who don't know what the Havana syndrome is, they of course should go to Wikipedia and read what it yeah. what it says. But <laughs> just a short summary, Susan. Can you tell us? Um, it is, um, I think it's from 2016 or 2017. Apparently, some people started having headaches and, you know, like backaches or, you know, tinnitus in the ear or something like that when they're working in um, Havana, Cuba. Yeah, the and embassy, right? Yeah, the embassy. But mm-hmm. I, it actually happened at a hotel. Oh. And uh, so, when you get down to it, it's like, uh, no, I don't think so. So what what they're saying is that there's some kind of weapon from China or Russia that's aiming at people's brains, and they're able to tell the workers at the Havana Syndrome Embassy from the people who are like cleaning the rooms at the hotel or something, and <laughs> just it's like. Are you really saying that Russia has a microwave weapon that is able to penetrate people's brains? And I mean, it's just pseudoscience. But the, but that's what um, you know. The consensus was there was some kind of weapon, and mm-hmm. over time now they're starting to realize no, it's probably not a weapon. It's probably just people are under stress and yeah. they're, they're but it's, a, it's an interesting stress. phenomenon isn't it because oh, yeah. it's, Fascinating. it is in a way it is real because a lot of people have been complaining about it but right you said it's not a weapon it, it's probably some sort of mass hysteria or something and uh yeah interesting to hear it's it's really fascinating so check out Havana syndrome you guys but when you when you do keep in mind that this is changing and as the uh efforts of what the scientific community is starting to get better citations so we can update the Wikipedia page. But at the moment, you know, it was, it was these other like JAMA, the, what is JAMA? JAMA is the General American Medical Association. Medical Association. Yeah. <laughs> they, they put, they posted something, they did a study or something. And I think that that's what's being really quoted because they have a lot of reputation, a strong reputation, but it was really old and it's not necessarily conclusive and it's not up to date to the ideas of what we think is really going on. So mm-hmm. really, it's an, it's an interesting case. People should check it out. And it's happening all over the world, apparently. Yes, it's not, been, not I've heard Cuba. it from, from India lately mm-hmm. and uh, other places as well, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Once one thing pops up like this, it suddenly pops up all over the world, even though nobody's ever heard of it before. Right. Pretty strange. Like UFOs or stump things like that. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's just one of the how many pages is it that you have uh oh, in oh, under I'm sorry. your wings? So I was just pulling that up. We just wrote page one thousand eight hundred and ninety-eight last night. It is a Wikipedia page in the language of Afrikaans, which is a language of uh, South Africa, and it's some chemical. I don't even know what it is, and I, I wouldn't even want to pronounce it because it would make <laughs> no as sense as to me whatsoever. And fact. It is a scientific, yeah, it's a scientific page on um, some sort of chemical and written in the language of Afrikaans. Because forty-five percent of the work we do is in languages other than English. Yeah. So, how many languages 
are there? Do you know that you are um, involved with? You know, it's hard to say because people come and they go. We have uh, created when well, I could I could count, but it's gonna okay. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll cut this part out. And then we'll come back. We'll tone back when Susan has finished counting. 22. 22. Okay. 22. But some of them have one page. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But Afrikaans, we've written 303 pages in the Afrikaans language, which is a lot. It's probably uh, half of the Afrikaans Wikipedia. (laughs) So I think it's one. Did he tell me it was 1% or he's written 3% of the Wikipedia pages in Afrikaans? Something like that. Some uh, um, amazing page. The next one to that is Portuguese. We've written 52. Oh, Spanish. We've got 98. Uh, French, we have 40. Dutch, we have 219. And Czech, we have 81. So a lot of the other ones are just like one here, one there. Hungarian, we have 18 because we have Andras. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes right. sometimes we have Andras when he's not busy. <laughs> yeah. In German we have only seven. Only yeah, shame seven. On me. <laughs> uh hello ESP listeners, I need editors. Thank you. Hello, come in and join our group. Oh, we have had many people who've joined after listening to to this program. Yes, that's yeah. true. That's true. One that's of them yeah. is me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's great, you know. We it, we're we we're a ecosystem, and you know, we're we're all helping each other out. We've got each other's backs. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. It's like yeah. the skeptical biotope. <laughs> <laughs> it all helps because <laughs> even if even if Andras and Annika are not editing Wikipedia today because they're busy, you're doing this really awesome podcast, which gets our message out even farther. So, and yeah. That's cool. You can also use the podcast then to backwards edit into Wikipedia, right? Yes. If when you guys interview people who have Wikipedia pages and you ask them interesting questions and things like that, then we can turn around and use ESP podcast as a citation on their Wikipedia pages. As long as it's not like a really I don't know, they're trying to make some kind of really bold statement that's you know, might need even further backup. But if they're saying, you know, I was born in this area and raised here and this is just general background about their history. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah, we can use it. We've done it many times. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should go back, and since it was some time ago, to mention again how we met once upon a time at QED, oh. you and me and Andras. <laughs> and that is actually through you that I met Andras. And yeah. uh, then we went to uh, McDonald's, McDonald's and the rest is history. <laughs> uh, because it really um, is. It is. Uh, Andras and I hit it off and... We met a couple of times at other, I think it was the next QED or was at the European Skeptics Congress. And then eventually we said, we should start a podcast. Angelina. Angelina, of course. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So, so, so say what happened, Pontus, or do you want me to tell the story? Yeah, please tell us. <laughs> so I get to QED. Okay. Mark Edward and myself are going to be speakers. 2014? Could be. Yes, I think that's right. 2014. Mm -hmm. So I get out of the taxi, and we don't do a lot of taxis over here, at least not where I'm from. And I left all my luggage in the taxi (laughs) with my passport (laughs) and money and all that stuff in it. Well, so, but I was so excited to meet people. And I get out of the taxi and I go in and they're like, okay, we'll try to find that taxi with all your luggage in it, Susan. And I'm like, okay, I trust you guys to be able to do that. And I'm walking along and Pontus comes up to me from one direction Hi, I'm Pontus and I'm, you know, we're Facebook friends and, you know, 
whatever. And I'm like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And then in the corner of my eye, here comes somebody else. Hi, I, I'm Andras, and I'm one of your GSOW editors. I edit for you in Hungarian, and we've never met before. And I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. I'm <laughs> about to go to McDonald's and get something to eat across the street. Would you like to join my son and I at McDonald's? And we went over there, and we sat down at a table. And I said, okay, let's solve all the world's problems. We're sitting here together. <laughs> and so we sat there, and I took a photo. And there's several photos, actually, that exist of this. And we talked, and, and everybody got along really nice. And I was just thrilled. It took a whole day to get my luggage back. but And it was pretty worrying because, I mean, my passport and everything was in it. <laughs> but um, And then we walked in to the uh, event. This is like two days or a day before the actual lecture started. And Jelena comes up to me and says, hi, I'm Jelena. I'm one of your Russian editors. Mm. And I'm like, oh, meet Pontus, meet Andras, and all these other people that are around. And we just hung out and everybody hit it off. And the next thing I know, you guys are making a podcast. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so yes, I introduced them. One big happy family. And that is my goal. It is not to improve Wikipedia. It is to build our community. And that has always been my goal, is mm -hmm. to build our community, make us into a bigger, stronger group. Because I'm kind of a social person. You know, I mm -hmm. like people and I want to talk to them and I want them to know each other and meet each other. And and that's that why we also call Susan the mother of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm the godmother. God, no. Godmother, I, yes. I, I'm okay. Godmother or mother is fine. Stepmother, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I take all responsibility for making you guys so, meet so, each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so speaking of this big happy family, how can one join the GSOW if one is interested? Well, we are operating on Facebook. So we have a secret cabal on Facebook that you cannot find. You have to be invited to join. So what you do is you, you reach out to me on Facebook. Right now I have a topic. I'm, I'm banned from Facebook for three days, but you can, you can message me. <laughs> what the heck's going on with Facebook? They're banning people left and right. Anyway, so send me a private message, send me a friend request and just Tell me, I heard you on the ESP, and boy, this sounds really interesting. And, you know, maybe you speak another language. You can read and write in that language, or maybe you can't. That's fine. And then what we'll do is I will send you a pre-training exercise. It takes about two hours to finish. It's not Ooh. difficult, but it's a way of you understanding what our training looks like. And it's a way of me weeding you out if you just never respond again, because that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you do the training exercise. You have to open up a Wikipedia account. You have to give me your email for the day that Facebook finally goes down and we need to communicate it back again with email. And then we'll have you pass that uh, training exercise. Once you've passed that, then you can tell me, you know, if this is exactly what I want to do. I love it. Or no, this is a little not what I really wanted to do. And if you want to continue with the project, I will put you into the secret cabal on Facebook and you can be locked away with my hundred plus editors and Then we start your training, your formal training, and that takes a couple months, maybe under four months. And then you will be all along. You'll learn how to edit Wikipedia like a real – once you finish our training, you'll be probably considered advanced. It's not that it's hard to edit Wikipedia, but the rules of Wikipedia, when you're trying to do it by yourself, it's complicated. It's very – wordy and they're not very helpful it's kind of anonymous and what i do is i do all the training myself i do a lot mm -hmm. of it over over messenger and i'll do it over zoom whatever you need and um you know please come and check us out we also have a 
Facebook group, and uh, we have a website called gsowteam.org. I think that's fantastic, and I hope people will uh, join you and your team. I sure hope so. In in English or in foreign languages, you need all of them, I guess. And uh, yeah, we sure do. It's a, it's makes a sizable difference, especially in the languages that don't have a lot of Wikipedia pages, as we were saying with Afrikaans. It's mm-hmm. we've been doing a lot of writing about vaccinations. That's been something really important to us lately is to call out the people who are promoting the uh, pseudoscience, as well as trying to build up the people who are providing the good science and calling out the different groups that are hiding behind a name like Freedom Choice or something like that, or Children's Health Advocacy in their anti-vax groups. Mm. And it's important that people get good information. So more than ever... Do we need to get this stuff in line? And we're not only influencing average people reading the pages, but we're also influencing the media that is finding the Wikipedia pages, getting the information, and then Mm -hmm. reporting it back. And so it's important that the pages are in great shape in all languages. Yeah. So do that, everyone. And uh, big congratulations again to the Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia project with you, Susan Gerbic. And... uh, Best of luck in the future, and I hope you you will probably continue to do this for many years to come. <laughs> I, I sure hope so, or I'm building the team for when I burn out, they can take over, or when I'm finally banned from everything that... <laughs> it's crazy right now. But I hope to see you guys soon at QED in... I think it's October now. Yeah, it's October. October yeah, yeah I really hope to see yeah. you there. We're we're another byproduct of GSOW is we're probably going to do scholarships for people who attend. that are our editors. Thank you very much. So, um, you know, we really want to help people meet each other in in real life and share beer together. So That that is very important too. Very noble Mm -hmm. goal. (laughs) Yeah, it is a noble goal. Okay, Susan, (laughs) thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you a lot. Cheers. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So it's unbelievable that the work that GSOW does is so prolific. I've recently picked it up again. I mean, editing, but I don't have enough time to do it. I'm really sorry about that. But whenever I do get some time, I really enjoy it. And mine are on the stat badger as well. So some of those views are for you, Andros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least 155 of them of those 100 millions. <laughs> All right, but let's talk about something that is relevant to this week in skepticism. And recently, we agreed to swap with Annika. So from now on, until further notice, I will be presenting This Week in Skepticism. And I would like to change the name somewhat to This Week in Science and Skepticism and start with something that has nothing to do with science. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, very good. I just came back from Rome, and on the way back, we stopped in Florence. And in Florence, have you been to Florence? Yes, I have. Anika? Fantastic. To Rome? Yes. To Florence? No. (laughs) So there is a baptistry in front of the dome, and there lies the body of anti-pope John XXIII. Annika, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about because it's from a very interesting period of the papacy. Right after the popes came back from Avignon, there was a special situation that is called the Western Schism. There were actually three people 
contesting for the papacy. By contesting, I don't mean they were like preferiti, which means that they were the preferred nominees for the papacy. They were actually calling themselves the Pope. According to the rules of the Vatican, the Catholic Church, the Pope needs to be elected by the cardinals, right? And through them, God was speaking. Uh, That was the original idea. Now, the problem was that there were three different people claiming to be the legitimate Pope. That's what's called the Western Schism. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because there was a council, the Council of Constance, that was held specifically to resolve this Western Schism. It was held between 1414 and 1418, and it commenced on the 5th of November 1414 in the Bishopric of Constance. And I understand that Constance was down where the current border between Germany and Switzerland is, right? Mm -hmm. Is it the place still called Constance? Yeah. Constance? Constance, yeah. So it was how they tried to resolve it, and it was absolutely crazy and, and had nothing to do with how it should be decided who the Pope is. They actually deposed of two popes. <laughs> of the three. Yeah. <laughs> One of the contestants was anti-Pope John XXIII. They deposed him, deposed of him, and they deposed of Benedict Thirteenth as well. They managed to get Pope Gregory Twelfth to abdicate. So they ended up with no pope. And <laughs> Okay, that sounds counterproductive. Okay. So they elected Pope Martin V. In a way, the Western Schism got resolved, but um, the council, which was initiated by the Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund of Luxembourg, he wanted to condemn Jan Hus, who was one of the first reformers, basically called the second reformer, after John Wycliffe, whose uh, thoughts and uh, whose whose ideas had a great influence on Jan Hus. And Jan Hus was from the Czech Republic, the current Czech Republic. So he was from Bohemia. He was an actual professor at the Karls University. So he was a very interesting and very important figure of Western thought. He claimed that the papacy and the Catholic Church has gone too far in abusing people's faith, especially the practice of issuing indulgences by anti-pope John XXIII. And when I call anti-pope, obviously he called himself pope and a lot of other people call him pope, but currently he is considered an anti-pope, which is shown by his number as well. As we know, John XXIII was uh, the real pope that is recognized by the the Catholic Church. So it's not the same guy? No, not the same guy, and he lived in the 20th century. He was canonized alongside John Paul II. What a mess. So, yeah, what (laughs) a mess. Sounds like a soap opera, Andras. (laughs) Yeah, but why I think it's a skeptical topic is because it shows how ridiculous the structure of the papacy and an interesting time of the Catholic Church, where chaos was part of the system, (laughs) total and, and absolute chaos. And the Council of Constance was one of the councils that was held to resolve an issue, but most of the councils were about canonizing 
the literature as well and finding and deciding on ridiculous debates like how many different energies did Christ have and how many different entities there were uh, present. So these were issues that were not decided based on facts or based on evidence. They were decided based on politics. This just shows how ridiculous the whole system is. Yeah, the 5th of November 1414 was when the Council of Constance began. A very interesting look into the history of that, of that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so now that uh, we started talking about the Catholic Church, it's the best time to start poking the Pope if you have something to do it for, Pontus. Absolutely. Yeah, so you already mentioned, of course, the, the ridiculousness of the papacy. And you also mentioned the G20 summit, mm -hmm. which was uh, in, in Rome. And uh, Biden was there, President Joe mm -hmm. Biden. And he met with uh, Frankie, of course. They've met before. I think there was this was their fourth meeting. But it's probably the first one since uh, Biden was elected president. I think so, yeah. They Anyway, they, they met on the 29th of October. And everyone was very curious about how Francis looks upon the debate about abortion slash communion, which is mm. uh, now uh, very current in the American Catholic Church. For listeners who keep track, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, they, they have this debate about uh, the communion. And the issue is if people who are pro-abortion, like Biden is, should they mm -hmm. really be allowed to eat the holy crackers? And uh, mm -hmm. the American bishops will publish their stand on the matter in the near future. Stay tuned. <laughs> so many, of course, wondered that now that they meet uh, Biden and, and Frankie, will they talk about this? Of course, the whole issue has been seen as a very politically motivated move directly against Joe Biden, since many of the American bishops are um, on the conservative Republican side. They did meet in private, uh, Biden and uh, Francis, and uh, so we don't know exactly what they said to each other. But after the meeting, Biden was asked if the matter had come up about abortion and communion. What Biden said was only this, um, quote, We just talked about the fact that he was happy that I am a good Catholic and I should keep receiving communion, end quote. So that sounds like uh, Francis is on Biden's side in this matter. Uh, he also went on to have the communion in what is known as the Catholic American Community of St. Patrick's Church in Rome. Mm -hmm. It's an American community, but it is there in Rome uh, geographically. And so technically it is in the Diocese of Rome. And Francis is the bishop. He's the Archbishop of Rome after all. So... It seems like uh, Biden and Francis are pals after all. We shouldn't confuse that with saying that Francis is pro-abortion. Of course he's not. We ha he has said so many times. He's called it murder and likened it to a, a hired hitman pulling the gun on, on a fetus. So he's not absolutely not a pro-abortion, but he is a good politician. We should remember that. We've seen that before. So he's decided in this case to be friendly with Biden. And we will see what the American bishops will say in their published document later this autumn. I think it's in November that it's planned to be released. 
But I, my bet is that they will not take a stand against Biden in this way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing, I don't think there exists something like the Archbishopric of Rome. It's the... Mm-hmm. Bishopric. So it's he's the bishop. bishop of Rome. No, there's no Archbishop of Rome. But I think he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires. That may be. Uh, I don't know. Pope, I don't Pope think Francis. he's that yeah. anymore. But that was before no, no, no. he was the no, Pope. No, no, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, Bishop yeah. Sorry, of, sorry, just of Rome. one thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But he's still the most important bishop, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the moment. At the he moment. is, yeah. <laughs> All right, one more thing. Uh, We are still waiting for what happens in the trial of the century, as it has been called. This is the trial Mm -hmm. in the Vatican against uh, Cardinal Angelo Becciu regarding this shady real estate business uh, in in London. But um, there's no news about that just yet. There is another trial, however, that is now over. And I talked about it before it was over. This is against a priest for sexual abuse against a then fellow student at the St. Pius X pre-seminary. And the thing that this is different from other abuses is that this took place in the actual Vatican between 2007 and and, uh, 2012. The prosecution had asked for six years in prison against the now priest. But wouldn't you know it, when the verdict was handed down, the priest and also an alleged accomplice was cleared due to, quote, lack of evidence, end quote. Very convenient, indeed. Interestingly, the court found that there it was established that there were a sexual relation between these two persons of various kinds and intensities, <laughs> quote, unquote. <laughs> But uh, again, quote, there is no proof that the victim was forced into such relations by the defendant with violence or threats, end quote. So I don't know. (sighs) Of course, I don't know. I wasn't there. I haven't heard the evidence firsthand. I wasn't there in the courtroom. I think a lot of the alleged acts were in a closed room with only two people present. So we don't know what happened. But... I want, I'm thinking like maybe the Vatican needs their own Me Too movement because if one person says he was abused by another person, there is very little gain from that. You are exposing yourself and uh, and in in a very disadvantageous way, let's put it that way. And it's Mm -hmm. not just to, some people have said, well, they, they just want to gain attention. I don't think you want that kind of attention. There's, in my view, a high probability that something happened. But then again, I'm not a lawyer and you have to prove it in court, etc. But uh, as I said, maybe the Vatican needs their own Me Too movement. Frankie, of course, has stayed away from this affair very much, hasn't commented on it at all. But I don't know if it's purely a coincidence, but he did order the whole St. Pius the 10th seminary school to relocate outside of the Vatican earlier this year. So uh, he felt it was, nah, we don't want any sex behind the, the walls of the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> As if it doesn't happen anyway. Actually, I'm picturing what you are suggesting. I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> the Vatican's own Me Too movement. Oh. And imagine whole convents coming out as having been abused and nuns just standing up and saying that this and that happened. How big 
would that be? I mean, I'm intentionally not using the word great <laughs> because that would be awful that a lot of lot of those people have been abused. But um, we pretty much know that's a lot of, of those things have happened. And the yeah. question is, will we ever find out? And I don't think so. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for poking a poke. Thank you. Once again, Pontus. And that means that we are moving on to the news. And we start with a very happy-go-lucky topic. <laughs> Not. <laughs> because, <laughs> because we can now really see that Europe's record, record summer was a product of global heating. The heat waves and the wildfires of the summer wouldn't have happened without man-made climate change. As we know, the summer of uh, 2021 was the hottest on record and the elevated heat also caused premature deaths. So it already, like we're, we are in the climate change right now. It's not like 30 years ago where people were like, oh yeah, so things will happen. No, no, things are happening. We're in the middle of it now. And uh, higher temperatures are much more likely now. Back then, 150 years ago, a summer like this year would be once every 10,000 years. It was a very, very rare event. Now we can pretty much schedule every third summer will be as hot as last summer. At the end of the century, it will be pretty much every summer if we don't turn this ship around. And this is also an important reminder to the COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow, which is the conference of parties under the UNFCCC in its 26th iteration and it's very good reminder for them that global warming is important and has jarring consequences every summer will be warmer there will be more deaths more destruction more wildfires more extreme weather events and none of this is surprising anymore floods and uh, mudslides and will get become our new normal It means we really have to reduce our greenhouse gases and um, it's not enough to say, oh, we will be neutral in 2070. No, we have to do that sooner rather than later. We can see how 1.2 degrees of heating, um, what, what they are doing. We don't want to hit 2.7 degrees. We really don't want that <laughs> because it will may mean even more cost of human life and destruction. Yeah, with this, this happy reminder... <laughs> I just wanted to ask you guys, what do you think about that? Do you think we have a chance? <laughs> well, I think it's a pity that nobody told us that back in uh, 1971. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they, and they should have. <laughs> and they should have. Just recently, there was a massive study that used a data set of 88,000 climate-related papers published since 2012, so less than 10 years, within less than 10 years. And they examined a randomized subset of th uh, 3,000 of such publications, and they saw that greater than 99% is the consensus in, within the literature that humans are causing climate change. But another study was recently published that claims that in 1971, one of the greatest oil companies that's out there, oil and gas companies, it's a French company, Total, which is now called Total Energy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Send us and, your uh, recordings of how that should be pronounced. <laughs> 
it turns out that there were research papers sent back and forth and there was a lot of communication between scientists and the company about the effects of carbon dioxide release as a result of burning fossil fuels that the company sells. There was a journal that's called the Total Journal. It's a company journal. Back in 1971, it was already explained that the release of enormous quantities of carbon dioxide will result in an enormous level of climate change and probably lead to the melting of ice caps and sea level rises. But that happened 50 years ago. And we have recently, we've been thinking that it's a, a relatively recent discovery that this happens on such a large scale and there are still people denying that the the amount of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere cannot be large enough to change the climate and to cause such a a large-scale change in the in the earth's climate if you put together the numbers if you calculate the the size of the atmosphere and the amount of carbon dioxide released into it then even back in 1971 it could have been known and it turns out that it was known and even though this was clear to total obviously for profit gains they decided to ignore the, those warnings and just keep pushing and keep growing as much as possible and the company is still doing that until this day and all the other companies trading fossil fuels try to do things as if climate change was not even existing and the other thing is that in the wake of cop bbc released a report that a document was leaked linking several countries and several governments of different countries including saudi arabia japan and australia that were asking the UN to play down the effects of climate change that was based on the report of IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So this is what it's like when politicians are being trusted to make those decisions because politicians can be bored. Politicians can be steered towards a different direction based on where the money is. So money talks and this is something that doesn't seem to be changing. So Actually, to answer your question earlier from earlier, Onika, I'm not very optimistic because I don't trust politicians. I don't trust that these people will actually achieve anything. The fact that it has been already, there has been already 25 of these, COP stands for a conference of the, of the parties, and there have been 25 of those already, and we haven't achieved much. I think I have my reasons to be pessimistic. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's also realistic. Mm. Um, yeah, and I also think it's it's always important to be realistic, especially if you look at democracy. And there's a new report out in German by the SEMAS, <laughs> and that stands for the Center for Monitoring, Analyzing and Strategy in Germany. And they mm-hmm. published their report about conspiracy theories and their impact on democracy, among the authors are uh, important names like Pia Lamberti and Annika Brockschmidt. They are very good scientific authors in, in Germany. And um, as I said, the report is about conspiracy theories and their impact on democracy, um, about disinformation and the election that was just behind us here in Germany, um, alternative realities. They also included an outlook in the future. 
And the download is free. Of course, it's in German, but we will put the download link into the show notes. So if you know German or are German, give it a read. It's it's sure is very interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't know uh, what the COVID situation is like in Germany. Well, we're going up. But we're going up. Yeah, you're going up. Yeah, we, we are too. But I don't think either of our countries is doing as badly as mm. Romania does when it comes to the COVID situation. And one of the reasons, as Ovidio Kovacu explained in the interview that uh, Pontus recorded with him uh, not too long ago, is that there is a wide-scale distrust towards the government and expert opinion as well, because that's conveyed by the government. So vaccine uptake is very low. It's going up. We've been seeing numbers growing steadily in recent days. But a couple of days ago, the Romanian government in Bucharest introduced a night curfew and to make health passes mandatory and access to non-essential services other than shopping for food and medicine will be restricted. They will have the new measures in force for 30 days. The movement of people after 10 p.m. will be absolutely zero. It's going to be like some other countries were about a year ago. Mm. But it's something that we would have liked to avoid by now, right? With vaccinations and with wearing masks in public places, which will also be mandatory in Romania, along with um, the vaccination program going on and the government asking companies for having at least half their employees working from home, things like that. You have to obey the rules. The sooner we get everyone vaccinated and the sooner we get people to understand that this is a serious situation, the sooner we can get this all behind us. And it won't be all behind us. That's the other thing. No, but these new uh, measures are exactly what the video was uh, looking for just a couple of weeks ago yes. when we talked to him. So, yes. so I'm glad something is happening. Yeah, but uh, Romania is still not doing as badly as as Sweden, right? Sweden can, and nothing can be as dangerous as Sweden. <laughs> I well, hear, stand at by, least. <laughs> stand by for an attempt of German here. So, Sweden is gefährlichstes Land Europas. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that, Annika? I would disagree. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's hard to say, but it's also uh, what you have read in the papers may be wrong, especially in Germany. Well, let's go back a bit and say that there was quite some misinformation in the media about Sweden a couple of years ago. This was about shootings and the existence of so-called no-go zones where even the police had given up and didn't dare to enter. I even received emails a couple of years ago from people abroad offering their sympathies for me that I had to live through such uh, austere uh, circumstances in, in such a lawless country. <laughs> That wasn't the case, actually. But last week, there was an article in the German tabloid Bild uh, in connection with a Swedish rapper and musician who got uh, shot to death recently. Of course, a very tragic story. But Bild concluded that um, Sweden is the most dangerous country in Europe. And that's what I tried to say before. And they're referring to an official report as well from the Swedish National Council for Crime Prevention to prove their point. So uh, here we go again. Sweden is a country where the police have given up and law-abiding citizens live in fear. Is that true? As always, I think you'll find it's more complicated than that. It is... Love that yeah. <laughs> It is true. 
that over the last 20 years, the number of deadly shootings per capita in Sweden has increased by around 60%. So that's quite a lot. It's also true that the number of deaths by guns is quite higher in Sweden at the moment than the EU average. But if we look at the number of deaths from violence per capita in Sweden over the same period, it has actually gone down by about 5%. So death by gun violence has gone up, while the total number of deaths from violence has gone down. Gun violence started to rise in 2012, which is when the trend started, and that is worrying. Increased gun violence is a bad thing, of course, and, and it, but that's just part of the story. Things can actually go both ways at the same time. It can get worse in one view and improve in another view. And it's important to look at the full picture. And now, of course, the political parties in Sweden are all over each other, trying to outcompete each other on how who is the best fighter of crime, the toughest on crime. Who shoots shoots criminals? The yeah, best. who shoots criminal best? Right. <laughs> so, and and then we can. I'm not going to get into that right now. But then everybody says we need tougher punishments and longer prison sentences for this. And if you are scientifically mind, you would look into if that helps or not. And in many cases, it doesn't help to make the punishments harder. The criminals don't care about that because they are not counting on getting caught anyway. So, But anyway, that's another discussion. So you can also break down this gun violence demographically and you can see then that it, the increased violence is in fights between and within criminal gangs. So that's bad enough. But for most people living in Sweden... It is actually something you just read about in the papers. It doesn't concern you personally. You don't see guns in the street. You don't see police not daring to enter certain parts of certain cities. That is not true. But we should get rid of the guns, of course. Yeah. Yeah, for, for all humanity, probably. Yeah, yeah. That would be best. Right. Guns are just not a good <laughs> idea, ever. No. Violence is not a good true. idea. Oh, yeah. But uh, there's also something that is, that is not a good idea. Homeopathy is not a good idea. I mean, it, it was quite a good idea back in, in Hanuman's day, but some people even laughed at him back then. However, it's really ridiculous when some governments subsidize homeopathic remedies or reimburse these treatments and uh, visits to doctors. And this has apparently been the case for a while in Austria. This is at least what I managed to work out. I couldn't actually find the actual information, but I trust Edzadenst when he says that it used to be reimbursed in Austria. But there is this large health insurance fund, which is the public uh, health insurance, that is um, covering about 82% of the Austrian population. So we're talking about 7.2 million people. And it's called UGK, Österreichischen Gesundheitskasse. Yes. Is this how you say it? Yes, sir. <laughs> More or less? <laughs> yes. Okay. The thing is that they 
issued probably recently, but there is no actual date connected to this uh, site, where they list a couple of things that you will not be reimbursed for if you go to and go to get that treatment. You must pay for these services yourself. One of the reasons why that could be is because it's not directly connected to your health or your healthcare. And the other is that if it's uh, some kind of a treatment that actually lacks scientific medical proof <laughs> of uh, <laughs> effectiveness. Uh, and they specifically mention homeopathy there. This might mean that for your homeopathic remedies and homeopathic visits to doctors, you have to pay for yourself. And I started digging a little bit further, and there is an interesting piece of information. There is the homeopathyeurope.org website, where they list the practices and practitioners and how it's being legally, the legal system of practicing homeopathy in different countries of Europe. So in Austria, they specifically mention that the Austrian Medical Council, Österreichische Ärztekammer, <laughs> does it? That how, sounds how completely it? correct. <laughs> okay. So the Austrian Medical Council can actually <laughs> issue a diploma the complementary medicine homeopathy diploma to those medical doctors. So they, they can only practice uh, this if they have a medical license already, who have successfully passed an examination in homeopathy. So the Austria Medical Council issues that diploma, which legitimizes the whole thing. And that pisses me off big time. But uh, yeah, uh, that is at least a positive thing they say that the OGK has been in operation since the beginning of 2020 when they, they merged nine former regional health insurance funds. So this might be quite a new thing that they decided not to reimburse people for homeopathic treatments. So, good. Well, well done. done. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Austria. <laughs> yeah. Take note, Germany. <laughs> And the UK. You heard that the right. poor queen is in, in very bad condition, right? Yeah, it's probably from all the homeopathy she's been taking over the years. It, not, not necessarily as a result <laughs> of it, but probably they don't work. <laughs> to, yeah. At least not when it comes to preserving her health at such, an, such a, an old age. I think she's pretty well preserved. <laughs> 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 all right. Anyway, so over. I have uh, news from Russia now. So denial of evolution is a subject that I don't personally tend to focus on too much because I find it so incredible that people in 2021 can still question it. But mm. this uh, doubt is still there and apparently hard to get rid of. A Russian paper that was published in the International Journal of Neuroscience in 1989, which has been criticized for questioning evolution, has finally been retracted. Hallelujah. 30 <laughs> years later. So I'll shorten the title a bit because it's pretty long and technical. But uh, part of the title, the main part of the title is, quote, In vitro studies of interactions between frequent and unique mRNAs and cytoplasmic factors from brain tissue of several species of wild timber voles, end quote. So that sounds... That sounds, Ooh, that's a it's mouthful. a mouthful. <laughs> it's a mouthful, and it doesn't sound uh, alarming per se. 
you can study those if you want to. Timber voles, even if they're wild. I don't know how wild they are. But anyway, then you get to the subtitle of the paper. And that was, quote, A new criticism of a modern molecular genetic concept of biological evolution, end quote. And that's where the problem is. Well, I, I mean, you can still question everything scientifically if you uh, if you have good science behind it go ahead and and question also evolution the problem is they didn't have any good science behind it <laughs> already back in 1994 so that's 25 years ago a guy called Don Lorhammar who by the way went on to become the president of the Swedish skeptics after this uh, mm. He had this to say about this in a letter to the editor of the publication. He said, quote, Kunetsov's experimental concept is obscure, his approach goes against established scientific experience, and his claimed results are not qualitatively demonstrated. The key methodological references cited by Kuznetsov has not been published in journals listed by Medline or CASI, uh, so that is an index of scientific papers. I had to look that up because I hadn't heard it before. Anyway, these references are afflicted with complications. Some authors could not be found. One author had not written the article ascribed to him. Many articles have <laughs> obvious grammatical errors. Well, I guess grammatical errors can be excused to some extent. I conclude, said Don Lorhammer, that Kuznetsov's critique of, quote, a modern molecular genetic concept of biological evolution, end quote, has no scientific basis whatsoever, end quote. <laughs> so uh, it was criticized in these hard words 25 years ago. Good riddance of it. But it's tragic that it took 25 years Yes. To to <laughs> for it for the journal to um, retract the paper. Yeah, they they had to think about it very hard. They had to think about it very hard. That is correct. <laughs> By the way, I found this out not through Don Lahama, who I am actually acquainted with, but uh, I found it out through um, Retraction Watch, which okay. is a fantastic website which you should support if you can. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That's correct. You should also support us if you can. Just saying. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How can we do that? Yes, Annika. How do you do that? So please, friends. I just looked into Patreon actually, and I can also already tell our listeners that there will be new incentives. There will be new rewards for the different tiers in a bit. Give me a few weeks. We have patrons, but we could definitely use more. So mm -hmm. if you want to support us going to QED, to the European Skeptics Congress, or just support us doing this podcast if something breaks and we have to get a new microphone, for example, then, um, yeah, go to our Patreon page and think about supporting right. us. And you don't have to put in a huge amount of uh, of money. Like one euro per month would even still already help us. That's right. So it's patreon.com slash the ESP. Yeah, and I'd like to emphasize that it's not for our benefit directly. So no. we're not <laughs> using that money for stuff other than our skeptical activism. So obviously we are doing this in our free time. We are not being getting paid for it. Uh, we would love to. Uh, so if someone wants to support <laughs> us becoming full-time <laughs> skeptics, I would 
definitely not say no to that. We're not against <laughs> that, no. So but if Elon Musk that, is listening or Jeff Bezos, <laughs> you can. <laughs> yeah, or someone else with a with a, a a large enough large enough wallet to support us, because uh, yeah, we would love to do that, and we we certainly believe that uh, we would be able to achieve much more than uh, we are capable of now. However, it's a great amount of help if we don't have to put in money as well as our time uh, <laughs> in order to be able to do this. So we have certain expenses, in- mm. including the website, including, and a lot of time is being spent with that. And sometimes we would love to, as Anika mentioned, we would love to buy new equipment. We would li- love to uh, attend skepticism-related events. And if we don't have to do it out of our own pocket, that's a great help. So we yeah. appreciate every euro or every cent that you can spare. Thank you. Exactly. But with that, we still haven't finished the job today <laughs> because <laughs> we still have to find out who's been really right or really wrong this week. All right. So this story goes back at least eight years now to 2013-2014, uh, when a Swedish midwife called Elinor Grimmark was denied employment at different clinics because she put up a condition. She would not accept a job unless she had the freedom not to take part in anything to do with abortions. She didn't want to do that because she said it would violate her religious convictions. When she couldn't get a job, she did file a complaint with the Swedish Equality Government Agency against the local health region, claiming that she was discriminated against because of her faith. So uh, what what do the two of you say about that? Is that discrimination? I'm putting you on the spot here. So <laughs> I, I don't like taking sides when it comes to... Uh, so calling something discrimination can be a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. So I usually refrain from making that decision or, or uh, I don't know. So I think it's it's much more complicated than that. <laughs> right. Well, well, well said. Was it diplomatic enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit too, too diplomatic, I think. I would say if she's a good midwife, then it would be discrimination to not hire her if she, for example, would be a Muslim and, and would practice her religion. But right. if this religion, no matter what, like Muslim was just an exp- example here, no matter what religion, Christian, Muslim, uh, Hindu, what name it, whatever, if that keeps her from being a good midwife, then it, that's not discrimination. That's just like being smart wh- who you employ. And if she can't do her job... And that is counsel pregnant women if they keep the baby or not, if the baby's he- healthy or not, then an employer is in their right to not <laughs> to not employ exactly. them. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's right, Annika, and that's exactly what the Swedish Equality Agency said. Well, she she wasn't being asked not to be religious. She can be as religious as she wants to, and and she wasn't required to do anything differently from her colleagues. She applied for a job where certain parts of the job was to be part of abortions, like counseling and even maybe even more things. I don't know exactly, but mm. she was just asked to do whatever the job was. 
and just to say, well, I'll do this part of the job, but not that part of the job because that's <laughs> that's against my religion. <laughs> that's not discrimination. That's your choice. Then that's fine, but then you can do something else. So, if you, for instance, you can't be a firefighter and refuse to use water for some reason, for religious reasons. <laughs> that, that would be one. ridiculous. Only okay. holy water. <laughs> Only holy water. If you... <laughs> Good. <laughs> Well, but you might take a religious analogy. Let's say you're you're applying for a job as a priest, but your condition is that you will not mention Jesus. You can't do that. Then, then, then that, that. Well, I'm sorry, but it's part of the, the yeah. job as a priest to talk or, about Jesus. Or applying as a teacher, but you say I can only, as a woman, I can only teach girls because yeah. my religion doesn't allow mm -hmm. me to have, be in a room with boys. Like that would then you can't do the job. Yeah, so just just to go back to to where I started out, it's and I know it sounded like bullshit <laughs> that, that I didn't say anything. <laughs> you just but sounded like a politician. <laughs> yeah, but it's exactly what I what I was referring to. You have two sides of the thing, and the religious person is so attached to their religion that uh, they will identify everything as an attack on their religious views. Mm. If anything has something to do with their religious views, if it's um, professionally can be argued that this is not the way to treat someone, I don't know. I would re still refrain from taking... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the story isn't over because <laughs> uh, Eleanor Grimmark did not accept this verdict, so she appealed. And here the plot thickens a bit. In 2017, it was revealed that she got financial backing by an American conservative Christian non-profit organization called Alliance Defending Freedom. Well, we oh, go yeah. back to, <laughs> to very... very okay. Generic names, that sounds good, you know. Defending freedom, who can be against that? Well, they are a very conservative Christian group and they have an agenda. They have not only been described as homophobic, they also um, are said to have run international anti-abortion campaigns before. So so now we're just talking about one person. Uh, we have an whole international campaign uh, funding her. And even so... Even with that funding, she lost the appeal, but she didn't give up. She then took the fight up to the European Court of Human Rights, the ECHR. And mm. then she also was joined by two other midwives that apparently felt the same. The ECHR last year announced uh, that they didn't want to take the case. They said, no, get out of here. We're not taking the case. But she appealed again and demanded that they would at least hear the case. And, you know, legal things grind slowly. But last week, the ECHR came back again and they said they rejected the appeal and this should be an end to this. So they mm. all agreed, and that's good, uh, that, uh, well, you can be as religious as you want to, but if you don't want to perform all of your job, then you cannot expect to be hired. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You you are free to, to practice your religion. You are free to make mistakes. You are free to provide a shitty service, but nobody would have to hire you if you provide a shitty service because that's if you if you can't do your job then sorry, that's part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. So for trying to force her own religion into public healthcare and for wasting everybody's time and money. Uh, Eleanor Grimmark and the Alliance Defending Freedom get today's prize for being really wrong. 
And then a really right award goes to the European Court of Human Rights for finally putting uh, this nonsense to rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well deserved. <laughs> yeah. Keep your religious views out of your professional life, especially if you work in healthcare, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, we have a minister of uh, human resources. It's called the Ministry of Human Resources. And under that, it's a department that healthcare is. So we, we don't have a health ministry per se. You, you're talking about Hungary now. Hungary, yes. Yes, yeah. sorry. And uh, the guy says, on several occasions he has said that uh, our healthcare is completely based on... Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> uh, that 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 was one time as well that thoughts oh, and really? prayers can help you get better yeah and um that our healthcare system is in con- total compliance with our religion that uh, christianity then christian values mm-hmm. so yeah we wonderful have, uh, we have too bad if you're a hindu muslim buddhist that's not the hour he's talking about <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about no, speaking no. of uh, discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Now that is discrimination. I'm ready to announce that and say it out loud. Okay. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that means that we have one last thing to do before we go. And since we swap segments with Annika, Annika, would you care to give us a quote? Yes, I'll hit you with a quote. <laughs> yeah, hit us with a quote. <laughs> and the quote <laughs> is <laughs> the quote is by Helen Chersky, and it's out of Storm in a Teacup. That's her book, mm-hmm. also titled The Physics of Everyday Life. And she's a British physicist, author, oceanographer, and TV presenter. Mm-hmm. And the quote is as it goes. Critical thinking is essential to make sense of our world, especially with advertisers and politicians all telling us loudly that they know best. We need to be able to look at the evidence and work out whether we agree with them. Oh, wow. All right. Good. That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) I thought so too. Yeah, I think I'll use this quote from now on. I I quite like it. Mm -hmm. But that marks the end of our show. And I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe
Sydney. Oh, come here. Don't worry, don't worry, Pontus. While you're busy uh, figuring <laughs> that out, the kids are freaking out. We, yeah, <laughs> we, we keep ourselves entertained here. Yeah. <laughs> We're but, promiscuous in that regard. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> we can cut that out. <laughs> We're not very picky either. <laughs> <lacht> Ordnung. Schweden ist gefährlichstes. No. Schweden ist gefährlichstes. Gefährlichstes. Österreichische Ärztekammer. Ärztekammer. Sorry. Österreichisch. Österreichische. Österreichische. Okay. Not necessarily though. Shall we finish we the recording? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay, <laughs> We've sorry. We've been at it for <clears throat> more than two hours now, so 